I want us to continue this look at grace that we are taking together. Like I said last week, sort of going under the hood and taking a look at how grace works in the heart of God, but then also how grace works in our lives, in our own hearts. And so I want to review real quickly uh, what we talked about last week. If you were here, um, we had a great time together. If you weren't, I want to kind of catch you up and, um, as we keep moving forward this morning. But, but let's start off with the big idea from last week, and this was it. Grace is that quality of God's nature that compels him to give free gifts to undeserving sinners. There is this thing in God that is unique to him that he desires to give good things to those who don't deserve it and who can't earn it and make it absolutely free. And that is a character and that that is a grace that is unique to God. We don't have that kind of grace. We, We can't manufacture it. We can't come up with it. It only comes from him and We saw how huge God's grace is because in Ephesians last week, Paul showed us how undeserving we were in light of how gracious God is because he reminded us that we were enemies of God, that we're not even, God chooses to treat us this way and and extend this type of mercy toward us, not because we're neutral, not because we're undecided about whether we want to follow him or not, that we're, we're kind of in the middle, that we haven't chosen a side. Paul reminded us that we are enemies of God. We are born because of our sin nature. We are enemies of God. There is no neutral ground. You're not born on neutral ground and then decide if you want to follow the devil or follow the Lord. Like You're, you're born on the wrong side. We are, we are born enemies of God, but yet he chooses to extend grace to us. He treats us like his kids, even when we were his enemies. And that, that unique grace only comes from God. And then we talked about three characteristics or the nature of God's grace. And we're, well, let's look at all of them all together. The first one is that it's always undeserved. And this was a big point that I think maybe just in having conversations with people since Sunday, this was a, this was a big thing that, that maybe kind of the Lord penetrated our, our hearts and our minds with. Anytime we extend what we would consider grace, kindness, something to someone that we think somehow has earned it, or we think that they're worthy of it, then that's not grace at all. The definition of grace, what makes grace grace, is that it's completely undeserved. And for us to understand grace, we have to understand that there was no merit about us. There was nothing that God looked at in us and said, you know what, he would be a good one to give grace to. She would be a good one to give grace to. I bet they'll do good things with my grace. There was none of that. There's no merit, there's nothing, and and we operate that way, and I think sometimes even in my own mind, I think I'm being graceful when I'm really not, because if I would examine my heart and really examine my thoughts and my heart toward however I'm treating somebody, really at my sinful core, I'm basing it on something, but God doesn't. His grace is supernaturally undeserved. And then it can only be given. It can't be earned. This is another thing that in Christianity is such a hard thing, maybe for us who have been believers for a long time, 
to grasp. Even people, sometimes this is the reason people don't come to God because they think they have to earn it. And then after we're in the kingdom, sometimes we, we think that, that because God has given us this, we have to prove that we're worthy of it. I have to do good things to prove that I'm worthy of the grace that he's given me. No, that's not it. Because grace can't be earned. It's not, a, it's not an award, like we said last week. When we give out good things because you've earned it, that's an award. That's a trophy. That's not grace. And then number three, no quality or quantity of sin can ever overcome it. And that, that's the greatest thing about grace. Because it, it has no boundaries. It has no limits. We sometimes think, well, I've just, there's too much in my life. There's too much sin in my life. Or, or there's certain sins that, man, you have to maybe work extra hard to get grace for those because they're just higher up on the scale. And you know how we operate. You know how we think. When it comes to sin, we've got, we've got like top tier sins and then we have like mid-level sin and then we have like bottom level sin. All sin separates us from God and grace is big enough and strong enough and great enough to cover all of it. I need grace for the sins that I think are small in my life just as much as for those big things, those big huge catastrophe type sins that 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 have lots of other consequences to them grace covers them all there's no amount of sin and there's no quality of sin that that is too big for grace to cover and so those are all important things that's the heart of God that's grace in the heart of God but what I want us to see this morning is that what God does past this is even greater, is that this is not just the grace that is in the heart of God, but when we come into a relationship with Christ, God puts this same grace into our lives. He imparts it to us. It becomes part of who we are and what we hold. Um, that's another part about grace that's so amazing. It's the, the grace that's his that saves us is also a gift that he gives to us. And it's the same kind of grace. But it only comes from him. And that grace is so that it operates in our lives so that grace can be seen by other people. So that we can extend God's grace to other people. And I want us to think through um, just how that works this morning in a couple of different places. We're going to be in the book of Acts and we're going to be in the letter of First Peter this morning. So find Acts Chapter 4 first. We're going to go there first. And we're going to look at some characteristics of the, of the early New Testament church in, in its very earliest days. Acts chapter 4, beginning in verse 32. We're going to read verses 32 through 35. I'm, I'm reading the ESV translation for you this morning, but you follow along in whatever Bible you have. Verse 32 in chapter 4 says, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And look at this. And great grace was upon them all. Verse 34. 
There was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. So I know often we read the book of Acts and we, and we have this, this picture of the New Testament church and we read it in our day and go, wow, that's incredible. Like, that's supernatural. What if, what if life could be like that all the time? What if, what if church could look like that all the time? Well, I think that it's more possible than we think it is. Here's a picture of the early church in verse 33, I think is the key to that entire passage and really is the key to all of the supernatural growth that we see in the New Testament church in Acts. And it's verse 33, that phrase that says... Great grace was upon them all. So let's think about that phrase for a minute. Great grace was upon them all. Now that implies, based on the language, there's a preposition in there, and that preposition is the word upon. And that in the Greek, it's a preposition that means on or in or laid on. Okay? So... If it says that great grace was upon them, that also implies that there was a time that grace was not upon them. So it's not something like we've said before. We're not born with grace. We're born in sin. We're born enemies of God. So at some point in the life of the church, it was full of believers who once didn't have grace was not upon them. But now, in this moment, in this time, the way they're operating, grace was upon them, and it was great, Luke writes. It was great upon them. So God has taken his grace, and he's placed it on them. He's, he's put it in them. You see that? It's, it's not just that it's trapped in the heart of God. Now God has chosen to take that grace that's in him and put it into, onto believers. And so what's the result of God taking his grace and giving it, putting it upon them all as the church? And there's four things in this passage that are obvious, and and we'll go through them one at a time. The first thing we see in verse 32 is unity. Grace brings unity because it says that they were all of one heart and soul. And that's the kind of unity that only the Holy Spirit brings. That's, the only, that's the only a unity that grace can bring. And that's the kind of unity that we strive for, right? We strive for that kind of unity in our families, in our friendships. We strive for this kind of unity in our, in our church. We want First Baptist Lindale to be a group of people that are together with one heart and one soul. The, the men who serve as deacons in this church, one of the greatest things that, that they take as their charge is to guard the unity of the church. And, and that's, that's part of what they do as servant leaders in this church. And we, wanna, we want to, to be unified together. But listen, apart from grace, that'll never happen. You know why? Because we'll all have our own agendas. We'll all have our own individual things and ideas and things that we want to do. And if grace is not a part of the way we operate and it's not in us, then unity is not ever going to happen. So we have to have, we need grace to do that. The second thing is generosity. 
there's a supernatural generosity in the church here because it says no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. That means there was no ownership of anything. There wasn't, this is mine and this is yours. There wasn't even an issue of borrowing, I don't think, in the, in, in the church in Acts. Because if I tell you you can borrow something, that implies that belongs to me. When you're done with it, you have to give it back. But it says that none of them said that anything belonged to them. No, nobody said this is my own. So can you imagine a kind of unity and a kind of grace where everybody just took whatever they had and they threw it in for anybody who needed it? Because that's, that's the picture here. And you're generous. You, you, you say, well, how does that work in the church? Like, uh, generosity, you, you express generosity in your giving. And when you, when you tithe and when you bring offerings to the church, that, that's, that's generosity. We would have to turn the lights off and close the doors and go home if you weren't generous um, and obedient in your giving. I would have to find something else to do uh, to, to make a living. I don't know what that would be. I would have to come up with something. I don't know what else there would be for me to do. But generosity is something that comes through grace. Why? Because we are, in our humanness, we're greedy people. We don't want to be generous. We, we, we may have what we have, and we may be willing to give up a little bit of it as long as we still have enough for, if I, as long as I still have enough for me and mine. If I've got extra, then I might share it with people. That's, that's, that's not even a picture of what's happening here. Everything they had. Sold it, whatever you need. Whatever you need. You need, you need this? We got it. And they just put it in. They had no possession of anything. Supernatural generosity. That comes from grace. The third one is evangelism. Verse 33 says that, And with great power the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of Jesus. They were telling people about the resurrection of Jesus and they were doing it with power. Evangelism is is something that scares people in the church so much, doesn't it? Evangelism is scary. Sharing your faith, telling somebody about Jesus is scary to you. Why? Because you don't think you have the power to do it. Or you think you'll mess it up. And believe me, I know how that feels. I feel that way every Sunday morning when I stand up here. I have to struggle with those thoughts and those ideas of what if I mess this up? What if I say something wrong? What if I completely send somebody off on the wrong track and they leave with some idea of God that's not even true? That's where grace comes in because God's grace is present in our lives. He can take our mumbling mess when we're trying to tell somebody about Jesus. And I think that the the Holy Spirit sometimes just translates and changes what we're saying and what we hear is blah, 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 blah. And what they hear is is the clearest presentation of the gospel they've ever heard. That's the kind of stuff the Holy Spirit does when grace is a part of the equation. He brings power. The Holy Spirit brings power through grace in our lives as we are seeking to tell people about Jesus. And then the fourth thing is provision. Grace brings provision. It it meets needs. Verse 34, there was not a needy person among them. 
For as many as were owners of lands and houses sold them and brought the proceeds to the apostles. It says there was not one single needy person among them. And y'all, if that's what scripture says, I choose to believe that's exactly right. When it says there wasn't one, that means there wasn't one. There was nobody that was lacking anything they needed. And you know where the provision came from? It came from the generosity. And you know where the generosity came from? It came from the unity. And you know where the unity comes from? It comes from grace. Again, undeserved merit. Undeserved favor. We give what's undeserved to one another, it grows unity. We give what's undeserved of ourselves, generosity and service. In evangelism, is just simply taking the grace that God has impacted our lives with and sharing it with somebody else. And then when all that happens, everybody's needs get met. Provision is there. It's just this beautiful picture of how grace operates. But what I want you to see is this is not just the heart, the grace that lives in the heart of God. This is the grace that's in the heart of God's people. Because God has put it there. And if you are a believer and the Holy Spirit dwells in you, this kind of grace is in you. It is potential in you and you are capable of that. Even when we look at it and go, golly, that looks so hard. If, we, if we're not able to do it, it's not because grace is too little. It's, it's, it's us. It's our ability to be able to to grab hold of that and live in it. So here's big point this morning. God not only saves us by grace, but gives grace to us as the power to obey him and serve others. So you see that there's other places, there's places in scripture we're going to keep looking, but where God takes the grace that's in him and he puts it in his people and he does it for a purpose. But that grace provides power for us to obey him and serve others. No wonder people look at the Christian life and go, wow, that's really, really hard. I don't know if I can do that. You can't without grace. Because grace is God's power to obey. Put into our lives. Um, here's another example. I want, thinking about grace as the power to obey. The power to serve other people. Flip over in your Bibles. You're in Acts 4. Flip over to chapter 6. Just a page or two over. And find verses 7 and 8. We're going to read about Stephen for a second. Acts chapter 6 verse 7 says, And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Verse 8, and Stephen, look how it describes Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. In chapter 6, Stephen is arrested by the Sanhedrin. And he's arrested, if you keep reading chapter 6, he's arrested for preaching the resurrection of Jesus. He's arrested for preaching the gospel. And in chapter 7... After he's arrested, he's brought before them and he's asked to explain himself. Are you doing this? Are you doing what you're accused of? Why are you doing this? 
And so in chapter 7, if you look in verses 2 all the way down through verse 53, it's Stephen sharing the gospel. Stephen preaching the word of, of the resurrected Jesus to the Sanhedrin. The ones who were responsible for his crucifixion. The ones who were trying to stop the movement of the church. So after he shares in power, remember, full of grace and power, he's able to share the gospel. Then look down at Acts chapter 7 at the end of his, his speech in verse 54. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. Man, you've got to be fighting mad to grind your teeth. Like, I, I've been mad before, but I don't know if I've ever been mad enough to grind my teeth. Like, that stuff hurts. Like, you gotta, you got to be mad to do that junk. But that's how angry they were. Verse 55, but he looked full of the Holy Spirit gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. You see how different what what they're living in versus what Stephen is living in in this moment. I mean, when your life is full of grace, the whole world can be coming at you and all you see is Jesus. I mean, they are literally about to kill him and they are rushing him like a linebacker. But he is, all he sees, he's, it's like he doesn't even see him. He's not even paying attention. He's like, look at that. Look at what I see. His eyes are fixed. Verse 58. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And as they were stoning Stephen, as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Verse 60, and falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. He died. Undeserved at the hands of unjust, evil men. So we see the power of grace in Stephen's life in a couple of obvious ways. One is that same power of evangelism that we've already talked about. Stephen stood boldly before the Sanhedrin and he laid out the whole story of the redemption plan of God all the way back from the Old Testament. And he walked them through their history and he said, God has sent a savior, a rescuer for us and you killed him. He stood boldly before them, knowing what the consequence was, but it didn't matter to him. But then look at what grace is in verse 60. The last thing out of Stephen's mouth was a prayer of forgiveness for the people who were killing him. And they weren't just killing him. They were killing him with anger, with, with rage. It wasn't just your typical, hey, you, 
It, let's put you here and we're going to all throw rocks at you. This was, this was rage, wrath being poured out on him. And his last words were, God, don't hold it against them. Guys, that's grace. There's another time that we see a grace like that in the New Testament, don't we? Luke chapter 23, Jesus is hanging on the cross and he cries out to the Father. He says, God, forgive them. The ones who are murdering him and shouting blasphemy at him and mocking him. He hung there and said, please forgive them because they don't understand. They don't know what they're doing. So literally what we see in Stephen, the grace that we see in Jesus as he hangs on the cross is the same grace that we see in the life of Stephen. It's the same grace. And what that does for me, it gives me hope. That even in the midst of my struggle, if it can be present in Stephen's life, it can be present in mine. Because the same Holy Spirit dwells in us both. It can be present in yours. It's not an impossible goal. But what's so great about this kind of grace is it's the grace in the heart of God that he, that he chooses to put in the hearts of his people. And, and it provides power to serve and power to obey. And I want us to see that. And there's a specific purpose. Like grace saves us, but it empowers us to, to obey God and serve other people. Flip over to First Peter now. First Peter and find chapter 4. We're going to look at, at another passage real quick. And the book of the letter of First Peter was, was written by the Apostle Peter, and he was writing to Christians who were enduring intense persecution by the Roman Empire. If you study history, you know that at, at, at that point, this point, the Christians who were in Rome had been scattered, and they were all over the place in regions everywhere because of the persecution of Rome. The Roman emperor was literally hunting down believers and, and murdering them in, in, in daylight and making examples of them. Like There was an intense persecution of the church going on. And Peter writes this letter to the believers that are scattered all over. And he's talking in this passage that we're going to read about spiritual gifts. And he's talking about the purpose of those spiritual gifts and how they're supposed to be used. And so I want us to read 1 Peter chapter 4. Look at verses 10 and 11. It says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards, look, of God's varied, what? Grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks the oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God provides. In order that everything in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So, if you understand, there's a principle in Scripture of spiritual gifts. And, and, and that principle is that when we give our lives to Christ, when we surrender to the gospel and make, and the Holy Spirit comes up to take residence in our life, 
That also comes with a gift of the Holy Spirit, a particular spiritual gift. And there are several that are mentioned in the New Testament. Each supernaturally equips us to do a specific work of ministry or service for the building up of the church. And there are lots of those. And that, that's, another, that's for another lesson. And, and finding your spiritual gift, there are tools and assessments that, that you can look up and you can take online that will help you. It will show you, like, this is what Scripture says about each gift. And, and you can answer these questions and try to figure out what yours is. And, and we've done those kind of things before. But we use the gift for stewarding or administrating Peter says, God's grace that has been placed in us. So God takes his grace and puts it in us, and then he makes a way for us to distribute it or administer it to other people. And I've illustrated it for you this morning. Uh, rather than give you notes or try to come up with a sentence that describes it, I thought it, it, it made sense in a picture. And this is it. There's the grace that, that dwells in the heart of God, the grace that is his and comes from him alone and when we are saved he pours his grace into us and he gifts us so his grace is present in our life through that spiritual gift that the holy spirit brings right and so then what peter says is through that spiritual gift we then administer that same grace out of our lives into the lives of each other through those gifts. Now, what we, what we want to make sure to do is to understand that grace and gifts are not the same thing. The gifts aren't the grace and the grace is not the gifts. Those are two separate things. And, and to try to help you figure out like what's the difference between the grace and and, and the gift. God's put grace in me, but he's also put this spiritual gift in me. So are they kind of the same thing? No. Think of it this way. That grace is the product. And the gift is the packaging. Okay? So God has placed the product of grace in us through the Holy Spirit. And by that grace, we are empowered to deliver that grace to other people. If you order something from Amazon... You don't order a box, right? You don't look up something on Amazon and say, ooh, I like that because I love the shape of the box. <laughs> or I'm going to order this. I'm going to pay 50 bucks for this thing because I need that box. No, you, you order the product, and it comes in the box, right? Now, you're grateful for the box because the box packages it, it. It seals it up. It protects it. It makes sure that nobody steals it when it's on its way to you. So the box is important, but the box is the package. It's not the product. We're not trying to deliver. We're, it's not our job to administer boxes to people. If Amazon showed up at your house and left an empty box, you would not be satisfied. That's not a five-star review. That is like a zero-star review. I got my box and it was empty. There was nothing in it. The gift, our spiritual gift, is the packaging for the grace that we're supposed to give to other people. And this is, this is the difference between grace and gifts. Our gifts can be used, our boxes can be empty. 
Okay? We can deliver empty boxes to people when we operate in the flesh because you can use your spiritual giftedness in the flesh and it doesn't build up the church. It doesn't accomplish what God wants it to accomplish. Sometimes it can do harm. It can, your spiritual gift can do the opposite of, of the thing that God put it in your life for if grace is not a part of the way you're operating. If the Holy Spirit is not driving the way you're using that gift, you, are, you, you may be busy. You may be doing all kinds of stuff, thinking you're using your spiritual gift, but what you are doing is going door to door and delivering tons of empty boxes to people because there's no grace in it at all. And he says the point of the gifts is to administer grace, to be good stewards of God's grace, he says. If I want you to steward something well, it's something that I give you. If I gave you a grand, if I gave you $1,000 and said, said, administrate, like be a good steward of this, that means use it to its greatest potential. Be responsible with it. Be efficient with it. Use it in a way that's most effective. And that's what we're to do with the grace. And the way we, we do that with grace is through those spiritual gifts that he gives us. So he doesn't give us a task with nothing to, he doesn't give us a product to deliver without a package to deliver it in. So he says, the product I want you to get out is grace. Here's a gift. Here's a spiritual giftedness that's going to make you able to package that grace in a way that people will actually receive it. Does that make sense? And that's an amazing thing. Grace is in us, and it's by that grace that we serve. And specifically, Peter says we do that two ways. Go back to verse 11 and 12 and look at it again. We do it by speaking and by serving. He uses uses those two examples in that text. He says, whoever speaks is one who speaks the oracles of God. You know what that means? That means if you're going to speak up, make sure you're saying what God says and not what you say. The oracles of God, the the words that come out of God's mouth. If you speak representing him, trying to operate in your spiritual gifts to deliver grace, speak his words, not yours. Your words, empty box. God's words, full of grace. So we do it through our speech and through our service. And he says, as one who serves by the strength... That God supplies. Quit trying to serve on your own strength. That's why we get burned out. That's why we get mad. That's why we get upset. That's why we we get asked to do something. And we try really hard. We're putting together lots of empty boxes. And then we get tired of it. Because there's no grace. We either get tired of it or we get exhausted. And we're like, I don't want to do this anymore because it doesn't do any good. And usually when we stop serving because we're operating in the flesh, you know what creeps up in our hearts? Well, I'm going to quit doing this because I'm not getting what I deserve. I'm not getting the love. I'm not getting the credit. People aren't paying attention to me. Look at what I'm doing. That's the opposite of grace, right? undeserved grace has nothing to do with what you deserve 
So if you're operating in your gifts to try to accumulate stuff you deserve, then I'm pretty sure that box is empty. There's no grace in that. So we speak and we serve for what purpose? And this speaks to what I just said at the end of verse 11. In order that, which means here's the purpose that's coming, do these things, speak God's word, serve in God's strength, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, not you. Because you don't have grace. The grace that you are delivering to other people is not yours. It's his. But he's packaged it in such a way and he's put it in you that he says, I want you to deliver it to people and I'm going to give you a gift to deliver it. And so when we operate that way, we can look back and somebody says, wow, that's, that's like the most graceful thing I've ever heard or that's the most graceful thing I've ever seen. Then we can in turn say, well, it's not because it's in my strength or what I just said wasn't my words. That's the, those are the words and the gifts of God. It's his grace that's coming into your life because I don't have any. But praise God, he gave his to me. And I want you to see how amazing it is. So if you're a believer this morning, I want you to understand that grace is not just something that's trapped in the heart of God. If the Holy Spirit lives in you, then that grace is in you. And the purpose of of whatever your giftedness is, is to administer, be a good steward of the grace that God has put in you by, by serving and obeying. So I just want to ask you this morning, are you... Are you doing that? Are you obeying Christ and serving other people in the power of grace? Or have you just been trying to do it all by yourself? Have you been trying to muster up a grace of your own that has no power? If you're not, it's it's probably either that you are a believer, that grace is in you, but you've just misunderstood it and you've not been able to to really grab hold of the grace that God has for you. That's why you can't serve other people with it. Or you've never received it in the first place because you've never given your life to Jesus. You've never surrendered to the grace. You've never taken the free gift of grace that he has for you. Forgiveness of sin, it doesn't matter how big, it doesn't matter how much. Forgiveness of sin, all those things that we've been singing about this morning. I loved our songs this morning. They've just been so full of the theology of grace. If you're paying attention, you'll see it. Just so full. You can't hold God's grace until you receive it. And you sure can't administer it to other people until it's in you and until you embrace its power in your life.